It's the 17th of May, 2006 in Paris, with 80,000 fans packed in the Stade de France to witness what could be a phenomenal Champions League final. Appearing in their fifth final ever, Barcelona lined up against one-time finalist Arsenal to see who would be crowned Kings of Europe. Ashley Cole, Robert Pires, Cesc Fabregas and Thierry Henry lined up against Ronaldinho, Samuel Eto'o, Deco and Carlos Puyol. Arsene Wenger was looking to add the final jewel in his illustrious crown as he had never made it to the top of Europe. But through a red card, a scintillating Samuel Eto'o performance and a late goal from substitute fullback Giuliano Belletti, it wasn't to be for Arsenal that night. However, what the club didn't know, in fact what nobody knew, it wouldn't be Arsenal's night for a long time after this. Nine years, in fact. Arsenal would, in the end, see light at the end of the tunnel. But that tunnel was very dark, full of bad signings, injuries, tight finances, angry fans, like all the best football stories. Hello and welcome to the 12th ever episode of the Unsigned Manager podcast. My name is Siji Kolawole and each week I take a look at football's biggest headlines, stories and events from both the past and the present, breaking them down to see what's really going on. Now if you didn't know, I am a huge Arsenal fan, but in my conscious life of watching football, it's been rough times for Arsenal, we've never really been challengers and became the butt of the joke for a long time. So as an act of self-torture, I want to take a look at Arsene Wenger's least successful period as Arsenal manager, go through some of the calamities and kind of understand what exactly went wrong. So with that, let's get into the episode. In 2005, Arsene Wenger had a slight problem. And it's a problem which plagues the majority of football managers and it's one that is so hard to solve in modern day football how to transition an older successful team into new competitive prospects. Time after time, this is one of the hardest things to do. Moving on a good team and bringing in a new one has been tough for some of the world's best managers due to either not having the appropriate recruiting skills, not being able to keep the ship steady and avoid being sacked during the transition, that's a hard one, or being too stubborn or blind to realise you actually need to move on. Mauricio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, even Pep Guardiola has struggled at times to move on from top players whilst keeping their sides at that required level. And in the mid-2000s, Arsene Wenger was in that predicament full force. Arsenal had gone invincible a season before, managing to complete an entire Premier League season without losing a game, putting themselves in football folklore. By the way, I don't care what anyone says, that's the greatest team of all time, until someone goes invincible in the Prem but that's the greatest Premier League team ever see the problem with a team that's successful and that dominating is that it becomes hard to take their spot because how can you replace them unless the new players are phenomenal phenomenal talent they're probably going to provide a significant talent drop off or those players are too hard to replace so they're kept on way past their prime and then you have to change them on the spot The Invincible squad had the perfect blend of young players, experienced talent and veterans to go through at the same time. But when that team was transitioned on, the conveyor belt of talent didn't come through. 
Arsenal wasn't able to transition those younger players into experienced talent and then the experienced talent didn't stay around long enough to become veterans in the side. This Arsenal side went from the complete blend of age and ability to a young side without many leaders and where the experienced players left for better challenges. The club go invincible in the 03-04 season and then go on to win the FA Cup in 2005, with club captain Patrick Vieira scoring the winning penalty with his final kick for the club against arch-rivals Manchester United. The Gunners finished second behind Jose's dominant Chelsea team, check out episode 9, and on the face of it Arsenal were ready to keep pace with their rivals but behind the scenes were telling a different story. The club had finally decided to move into their new, larger and commercialised Emirates Stadium after the idea was created six years previously. The former stadium, Highbury, which is now used for housing in London, was limited to a capacity of 38,000, which is nowhere near big enough for a club of Arsenal's size. 38,000 is bottom to mid-table, that's... It's nowhere near big enough for a team like that. So the club decided it was better to move into a larger stadium, which ended up being named the Emirates after the airline company paid a hundred million pounds for their name rights and the shirt sponsorship. This meant that the 05-06 season was treated as a farewell to Highbury, as the Gunners prepared to move into their shiny new stadium. It was thought at the time that the larger aim of the move was based on three key reasons. Kind of the the main reasons everyone wants to change stadium now. Ticket revenue. In comparison to Manchester United's 70,000, the 38,000 capacity of Highbury was severely limiting how much Arsenal could earn from season tickets and matchday fans who were much more likely to fill a state-of-the-art stadium. Infrastructure. Arsenal actually wanted to renovate and modernise Highbury, but the opposition from nearby residents who would have been affected meant that the club had to move on to a completely new place. And UEFA stadium regulations meant that Arsenal had to play two seasons worth of Champions League games in the late 90s at Wembley, because the Highbury fan section was too close to the pitch, which caused safety concerns, so moving to a new policy-following state-of-the-art modern stadium meant that the club could play their Champions League games at home. In the final game at Highbury to secure fourth after a tough Premier League campaign, Thierry Henry scored a hat-trick to help Arsenal win 4-2 against Wigan, sending the stadium off in style with Henry kneeling down in respect and kissing the ground. Shortly after this was the unsuccessful Champions League final, which the club lost 2-1 to Barcelona, but The new stadium created a buzz around the club and the new possibilities were giving the fans real hope for beginnings and upcoming success. Not everyone thought it would be so good. Not everyone thought the move would be good. And if you were going to chart the fall of Arsenal, this is the point where you start. So the boss said upon reflection that Arsenal had lost a bit of their soul when they left Highbury because the fans being further away hurt the atmosphere of the ground. Wenger had also said that the stadium move was difficult because, quote, I had to accept to deal with limited resources, to have exceptional targets, that means being a Champions League every year, and on top of that, turn down magnificent offers from all over the world to face the challenge. That is not always easy when you know you don't have the resources you wish to have. So Arsene saying there, the club want me to stay, but they're going to give me less money and big other teams are offering me jobs 
This is a guy that's been offered the Barcelona job, the Bayern Munich job, the PSG job. But he knows he has to stay at Arsenal because he committed. He's not going to have no money to do anything. And he was right about tight finances. The Emirates cost around $390 million to build. And since the majority of that was a loan, the club had to commit to heavily reducing its spending, selling their stars and maintaining continual attendance in the Champions League just to have a hope of not getting into financial trouble. The club raised season ticket and match day ticket sales, which did not go over well with fans. As well as needing the commitment that Wenger would stay as proof that they would be able to repay the loan. Arsenal had to literally say, I will stay at the club so that Arsenal could get a loan for the stadium. That's how much he meant. So now he's in one of the toughest predicaments a manager can be in. He needs to turn over a heavily successful team, keep them competitive against financial monsters Chelsea and Manchester United, while selling their best players to repay the loan, barely have any money to sign stars, and qualify for the Champions League every year. This is why he was so annoyed at the criticism he faced in the late 2010s, because from his view, it was a miracle that the club didn't get into financial trouble or slide down to mid-table under him. And that's where that's where the legend and the respect of Arsene Wenger comes from because I don't know anyone else who would have done this. Pep probably would have left if he didn't have enough money. I respect Pep, but I don't think he would have stayed. Mourinho 100% wouldn't have stayed. Conte wouldn't have stayed. This is why Poch left. Wenger managed to stay... Say, don't worry, I know we haven't got that much money, but I'll find a way to get St. James every year. It's a different level. So Arsenal just transferred to the Emirates, so let's see who's moving in and moving out of the club. In the summer of 2006, Arsenal made a few major signings who'd been in the team for a while. Thomas Rosicki joined from Dortmund, central midfielder Denilson joined from Brazilian team Sao Paulo, and William Gallas traded one side of London for another, joining from Chelsea on a free. But then big, big signings left that summer. The best left back in the league, probably the best in Premier League history, left the club. So the summer before this one, in the summer of 05, Ashley Cole was involved in a tapping up scandal, trying to orchestrate a move to Chelsea. If you don't know what tapping up is, basically a club can't speak to a player trying to get him to force a transfer without the player's club knowing beforehand. So I can't try and sign someone for a club without talking to their the club that owns him first, do you get me? So Chelsea having a private hotel room meeting with Cole before his signing to get him to push his way out of Arsenal was a strict no-no and everyone was fined and everyone was punished. Cole ended up signing a one-year Arsenal extension but it was pretty clear he'd be moving the next summer. His 2006 autobiography relayed his strong feelings against Arsenal feeling like he'd been made to be a scapegoat after the tapping up situation. Arsenal did offer Cole a better contract, but it's come out after the fact that he was furious with the proposed 55k a week, since he felt that the club should have at least offered 60. Apparently he was so angry, and he got the call in the car, he almost had a car crash halfway through or something. Cole was later involved in a William Gallas transfer as both players switched clubs, with Arsenal paying an extra 5 mil on top. And he, he was dubbed Cashley Cole by the Arsenal fans for leaving over money. But this one is on the club. I don't see this as actually Cole's fault. I think I said this on last week's podcast. And I'll probably say it. This is something that I think is 
so key in football. Don't ever let your best players go unless they are over the hill and you can see a drop off coming. Any any other reason, fight tooth and nail to keep your best players. It might be more expensive to replace or re-sign top players, but your window in football can be so small. So if you have someone that is producing at a league or world level, you better keep them and extract everything you can. Ashley Cole left Arsenal at 25 and then went on to be the league's best left back for another 8 or 9 years. Arsenal let that go because of £5,000 a week. If he's that good, which he was, give him the money. Why let a homegrown academy player who's, in the, who's the best in his position go to one of your biggest rivals when he's not even at his peak yet? Such a stupid decision. Speaking of defenders, right back Lauren and Sol Campbell also left the club for free. So now if you're looking at the invincible back four, three of the four of them have left in the same summer. Only in return for William Gallas. It doesn't really sound great. It's not even like William Gallas is a young, promising centre-back at the time. Arsenal traded 25-year-old Ashley Cole for 28-year-old Gallas, who's not even close to being the best centre-back in the league. And this is a theme you'll see more often. Arsenal getting weaker whilst helping their rivals get stronger with barely anything in return. Robert Perez also left the club, but the writing was on the wall for him. After the Champions League final, when he got subbed, everyone knew Perez was going. The final departure of that summer was Dennis Bergkamp, who, who called time on his illustrious career at the club. At Arsenal, he'd become one of the most creative and revered players in the league, and you hope he would have found somewhere like Arsenal earlier in his career, with Wenger and Ian Wright and Thierry Henry meeting him earlier on the journey, but nevertheless, a great career coming to an end. So, we're starting the 06-07 season and it didn't start well. Arsenal were used to be challenging high up in the league, pushing Manchester United and Chelsea hard and being a real force. But this season had different plans. The club finished fourth in the league, were knocked out in the fifth round of the FA Cup, losing to Blackburn, and only managed to make the Champions League round of 16. By Wenger's standards, this wasn't successful. But when you see the starting eleven, you'll realise why they weren't as competitive. Star players Thierry Henry and Freddie Lundberg missed out around half the season through injury. And the team wasn't prolific with goal scoring at all. Van Persie led the team with 13 goals in all comps. The two consecutive fourth place finishes were the lowest the club had finished since the 95-96 season. It wasn't all bad, there were some bright spots that year, like when Arsenal fielded his squad with an average age of 18.9 but still managed to beat a pretty full strength Liverpool team 6-3 in the Carlin Cup. Former Liverpool player Mark Morrison tried to make fun of Arsenal by saying the physio needed to have Calpo in his bag but then his team got tumped so eat that. Like always in this period, Wenger helped the club to the Champions League again which for the club was key because that additional revenue would help them pay the loan faster. Winning the Champions League can give a club 82 million euros in prize money. But teams also earn for every game they play in as well as additional sponsorship from playing in a more prestigious competition. So getting to fourth was invaluable to the club, which Wenger managed to do without the best striker in the league history, losing his captain Patrick Vieira to Juventus, the bulk of his elite defence and having one of the youngest squads in the league. You, you get this weird feeling that Arsenal were trying to test Wenger 
and see how hard they could make his situation to see how much he could take while still being successful. If if Arsenal didn't have a generational manager, if they just had a normal guy, I don't know if they would have made it this hard for him. But for some reason, like, they're pushing him right to his limit at all times. Like, for example, randomly out of nowhere, but no one in the club is expecting it, no one outside is expecting it, they sell Thierry Henry. They sold the greatest player in the club's history out of nowhere. In fairness to Arsenal, this doesn't violate the don't sell your best player when he's not over the hill rule because Henri was 30 at the time and he'd had a really bad season the year before with injuries but no one was expecting him to leave. Even after the fact he said he wasn't planning to leave he was in good goal scoring form when he left he scored 10 goals in his 17 games he played but he wasn't sure that Arsenal were going to stick by his long-time coach and mentor Arsene Wenger especially after long-time executive David Dean left the club. Henri had never previously considered leaving Arsenal until then, but he knew he didn't want to stay if Arsene wasn't there. Quote, It was not easy, and when I left, I cried. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm a competitor, and I had to leave. I always said that if I ever left Arsenal, it would be to play for Barcelona. Weirdly enough, Arsenal started well after Omri's departure, which is an odd, there's an odd sports phenomenon called the Ewing Theory, I'll touch on another day, but essentially when your best player leaves, normally your team plays better. Omri thought that the improvement was probably because his seniority and competitive spirit meant that he called for the ball all the time, no matter if he was in a good position or not, and no one couldn't, you couldn't not give the ball to Thierry Henry, he was the best player in the club's history. But he thought that now he'd left, the team could flow better and and make more chances without always looking to him. In that same window, another long-serving player in Freddie Lundberg left for West Ham, which really brought the seniority of the squad all the way down. The oldest player that Arsenal signed that summer was 24. The club had dramatically looked to reduce the age of the squad because A. Young players are cheaper to give contracts to since they have less experience and less track record and B. Wenger wanted a squad which would grow up around the same time and reach their peak around his new jewel in the crown, Cesc Fabregas. Now a couple episodes ago when I was talking about Manchester City, I was saying that I think David Silva is the best creative midfield player I've ever seen in the Prem. If someone was going to laugh at me for that, it'd be Cesc Fabregas. This guy was different. Him and Silva are... 1A and 1B to me. The Catalonian joined Arsenal from Barcelona after spending years in the famed La Masia Academy when he sensed that he may not have enough opportunities to play regularly in the first team. He was in the academy at a similar time to Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, Thiago and all those guys so probably was a good decision to leave to be honest even though they probably would have found space for him. He was He was good enough to break into that team but it would have been limited. He came to London as a 16-year-old and took a lot of guidance from senior leaders like Patrick Vieira and Gilberto Silva. Cesc was involved in cup games in the 03-04 season but he didn't get an invincible winner's medal because he didn't play a Premier League game that year. But that next year, the 04-05, that's when he broke through. He was putting in electric performances in the Premier League, both on and off the pitch. 
On it, he's creating chances, stitching play together, moving the ball forward. Off it, he's throwing pizza at Alex Ferguson in the Old Trafford Tunnel. What a legend. Anyway, Fabregas had fully broken through in the 05-06 season, making it 49 appearances in all competitions after Vieira left for Juventus. So he formed a strong partnership with defensive juggernaut Gilberto Silva, and between the two of them they had everything a midfield would want. Cesc thrived in a more advanced role, creating chances and taking control of big games, and Gilberto Silva is the, the physical defensive unit who can cover for him because Cesc has got a little bit lack of physicality and clean up around the back. Particularly the Real Madrid and Juventus matches in the Champions League, that's where Cesc showed his levels and that he could perform against bigger physical midfielders like Vieira at 6'4". Arsenal knew that they had a gem on their hands so the club decided to build around him with young promising talent so that when they were all at their peak at the same time they would have built enough chemistry to really put in good performances. And to make sure that the main man would be there, Arsenal offered Fabregas a five-year contract extension with an option with another three on top. And that was to go with the six years he already had left on his current deal. They wanted to make sure they could keep him for another decade plus to really secure their future. And good, I can't imagine how excited the club was, sex signed. He said that Arsene Wenger's confidence in him and the play style of the club was enough to make him want to stay for that long. So the year after signing the extension, he's flourishing. He's finished the year with 13 Premier League assists. He's nominated for both PFA trophies, Young Player and Players Player of the Year. He only lost out to Cristiano Ronaldo because 06-07 Cristiano Ronaldo is a football madman. But all in all, Cesc is the leader of the club now that Henri's left. The first season without Omri was 07-08, so we're trying, I'm trying to move forward real quick, so now we're at 07-08. Annoyingly, that Premier League year is only remembered for Manchester United's treble, which is fair enough because you want to treble, we, we have to remember you. But Arsenal actually led the title race for about two thirds of the season, <laughs> only losing out on the league by four points after losing three games all season. Pele said that they were the best team they watched all year. Thanks, Pele. And it wasn't just him. Most opponents in that campaign said that Arsenal were the best team they came up against. And it makes sense when Arsene Wenger believed that the target of anything in life should be to do it so well that it becomes an art. Because that's that's exactly how you would describe Arsenal playing. They may not have all been world-class players at the time, but the movement, the rotation, quick passing, technique of this team was impossible to stop when everyone was in groove. They used to say it all the time if you watched Arsenal games back then. If Arsenal were on and everything's clicking, it is you can't beat them. It was always one-twos, touch moves, slick combinations, no matter the opponent. In case you're playing against a big team like AC Milan in the Champions League where Arsenal dominated them, small teams, Rochdale in the, in the Carling Cup, it doesn't matter, Arsenal were doing everything. The midfield four had everything you needed, Sesk's passing and creativity, Flamini's big defensive energy covering Rosicki and Hleb, who combined to get the ball forward into dangerous areas. That midfield four did all the work and made sure that Emmanuel Adebayor had every opportunity he needed to score and all he did was find corners. He scored 24 goals that season, Walker and Van Persie weren't slouches either. And the second unit, the B unit midfield, 
had Gilberto Silva and one of my favourite players of all time, Abu Diaby, covering the midfield. Quick thing on Abu Diaby, most people never saw him play because he was always in the physio room and injured, but he's like... He's like Paul Pogba, Yaya Torre 1.0. He's not, he's not as complete as they were. He's like what they did at a B level. There was a game where Arsenal played City and Diaby and Torre were in the middle of the park and honestly, sight to behold. Diaby's strong, tall, so technical, graceful on the ball. It's just a shame his body was made out of lollipop sticks. During his time in the club, he suffered 37 different injuries. Which just meant he could never put a good run together. But Abu Diaby, there's a game against Liverpool. Go watch the highlights on YouTube. Levels. And the story of Diaby actually is kind of parallel to the story of Arsenal. They start really well and they play amazing football. But when it gets gritty and physical, they just can't survive. In this season, the most promising year since the Invincibles. Rosicki had a tendon injury which ruled him out for the season in January. And then Eduardo broke his leg in February. And if you... I remember watching that game on Match of the Day. I wouldn't have watched the whole game. Match of the Day, they had to give a warning beforehand. Like, it was a bit dicey. And Eduardo's leg break is horrid. It was so bad that the whole squad was shaking up. And they really lost their form and their core cool after the next few games. So again, a promising season. Amazing performances. But Arsenal come up short. No trophy, no successes, more injuries. And 08-09 is pretty much the same thing. In the transfer window, cheap young stylists are signed. Aaron Ramsey, Samir Nasri, Andre Arshavin. And they keep the spending low. Neither, none of those players are expensive. Jack Wilshere breaks through the academy to become a first-team regular. What a player. Experienced, established talent leave the club again. Gilberto Silva, Alexander Kleb, Jens Lehmann, Mattia Flamini... They all leave to raise money to help with the loan payments for the stadium. The squad got younger and less experienced while their rivals got stronger and more experienced. The big issue with Arsenal is that while the timing is horrible, Arsenal could really, really fight Manchester United and Chelsea. But those teams every year, big money, big money signings. Arsenal aren't and... The development it takes for someone like a Wilshire isn't comparison, isn't comparable to what Chelsea can do signing an Elka. Arsenal played the best looking football in the league, moving the ball well and in short passes to really pull the opposition apart. But 08-09 also has a poor start, weak defence, lack of physical strength and Arsenal aren't challenging again. Gallas was stripped of the captaincy after an explosive verbal outburst and was replaced by Cesc Fabregas who was then ruled out for four months after tearing his cruciate ligament. Also, one thing on William Gallas, he deserved it. Why is he a centre-back wearing number 10? Every time I used to see Gallas wearing number 10, it put me off. He didn't deserve to be captain after that. Arsenal was slightly challenged, finished fourth in the Prem, made the FA Cup semi-final and a Champions League semi-final, but squad quality wasn't really there, and they, they did a lot to get to those stages. They shouldn't really have been there. Alright, so I've just thrown a lot of information at you, so... Just want to consolidate and just give you a little bit of a heads up where we are right now. We're at the start of the 09-10 season. It's been five years since the last trophy win, which is the 2005 FA Cup. Of that famous invincible starting eleven, everyone has left the club. Colo Torre left in this window 
And Sol Campbell rejoined the club as a free agent, but it wasn't really, no one was really expecting him to play. Somehow, Wenger has managed to make an £8.3 million profit over these five years. And in comparison to that, Manchester United have a net spend of £45 million over those five years. They're 45 mil in the hole. And Chelsea have the audacity to be £255 million in the hole. And United's number would have been much, much higher, but they sold Ronaldo for 90 mil. That really helped them. Arsenal has managed to stay in the top four by making a £8 million profit. That's, that is the levels of guard that Arsenal had. But this is the point in time where the public opinion changed on the club. And it's, it stopped being Arsenal play such pretty football and they're almost there. They just need one or two pieces to Arsenal just aren't good enough. And they never replaced Vieira and Henri and all the Invincibles. Every week, every week, Graham Sooner said that. It, it used to get on my nerves so bad. Arsenal never replaced it. They don't have any steel. They don't have any strength. But I can't lie. I actually think he was right now. The big difference between that Invincibles team in the late 2000s is physicality. As a striker, imagine having to deal with the technique and physicality of Sol Campbell, Colo Torre, Ashley Cole... If you if you want, go back watch the Champions League 2006 final. I had to watch it for this. And, oh, Lord, that hurt. Ashley Cole and Sol Campbell are phenomenal. And it's, it's amazing how good they are athletically as well as on the ball. If you're a midfielder, what, you don't want any part of Patrick Vieira and Gilberto Silva. Yeah, both because their vision and game reading and... Vieira's moving on the ball but also they're both built like sheds Burkamp is always brought up as one of the nastiest players in the league because he's dirty and mean and he's he's not scared to stick it on someone but he's probably the best technical player in England at the time and don't even get me started on Thierry Henry different kind of athlete Wenger's later Arsenal teams only had one aspect they only had technique but that mean streak and physicality wasn't there it's the same way that when France won the World Cup in 2018, it made people remember that you can have all the technique of a Xavi and an Iniesta and a David Silva. But that player doesn't have to be 5'6". He can be 6'3 and built like Paul Pogba or Adrian Rabiot. Carragher and Souness called Arsenal weak and spineless, without leadership and soft every week. And I can imagine after seeing that Arsenal team... And then seeing Wenger's later squads, you'd think this is nowhere near the Invincibles. On a Monday Night Football a year ago, Henri backed all this up, saying that he understood the difference between those teams and the later Arsenal team that he left. He said that the move to the Emirates had hamstrung the finances of the club, which made it difficult for Arsenal to replace the Invincibles, and that deciding to build around Cesc rather than a more physical player changed the identity of the club. Players like Petit, Vieira, Keown would never have been accepted into the new Arsenal, with Wenger preferring small, agile technicians. And honestly, if I'm Arsenal, I'm stressed out of my mind at this point. And I'd love to say this is as hard as it gets for him, but it doesn't. It gets much worse. It's around this time that the other half of Manchester have made their big announcement that they're coming over to take the league, and they had a plan to do it. Manchester City were a regular mid-table team who weren't too competitive but with new mega-rich owners decided that the league could be theirs. 
However, it's a bit hard and unrealistic going from ninth to first. So they decided to take that climb in stages, go from ninth to fourth to third to first. That first stage was to cripple the weakest of the top four teams and take their spot and get comfortable in the Champions League. And guess who they looked to first? City had identified that Arsenal would be the easiest team to stop since their lack of ambition and poor finances meant that they could poach their star players who wanted to make more money and win more trophies. So out went regular first teamers and star players. Star players, Sami Nasri and Gail Clichy in 2011, who went to Manchester City to join Colo Torre and Emmanuel Adebayor who had left a few seasons before. Arsene was, for the first time, losing his star players to other league rivals who were looking to win more trophies than they would in London. And they did. Many of the players who left for Man City won that famous 11-12 Premier League title. Check out episode 10 for that. And they got worse from there. The best player at the club. The jewel in the Emirates crown. The, the guy Arsenal built the entire future around. He wanted to go back home. Barcelona had been courting him for years. They wanted to bring the Catalan Academy graduate back to the club. Which put a real dent in Arsenal's plans. Fabregas wanted to go and join the best team in the world. You can't blame him, really. But it left a massive captain-shaped hole in the team. The best player had gone again. As a compensation, they signed current manager Mikel Arteta, but their style of play just really isn't similar. But good things happen to those who wait, and it turns out it didn't actually matter. If you're an Arsenal fan of my age, you had your own conscious football brain around 2006 you can only really say you've seen two world class seasons where someone at the club was the best player in the league and I mean two with your own eyes not Henri and everything before that I'm talking about 06 onwards one of those was Alexis Sanchez yeah I get it he left the club and he did a whole piano Alicia Keys thing but he was a stone cold problem but the other one was the, was the best Arsenal player season I have ever seen with my eyes Robin Van Persie Lord help the Prem RVP was a football terrorist in that 2011-12 season this guy put up 30 goals and 13 assists in 38 Premier League games that is sickening left foot, right foot, header dribbles, volley, screamers dinks, chips, any type of goal Van Persie's putting that away. Think about that goal. Alex Song's long pass. Van Persie's peeling off the back of the defender. Full volley. Filthy. Every time he cut inside from the right-hand side, bent it, top corner. Filthy. He's the complete forward in the league. And when you're younger, you always want to copy your favourite players, but Van Persie's play style was so unique. He felt like he was like so gangly and weird. You couldn't really even copy it, but that's what made him even seem kind of cool. He wasn't replicable. He had the love of all the fans. The club made him captain after Cesc left because he was one of the most, the longest serving players at the time, which is kind of crazy. He was arguably the best player in the league and the Arsenal supporters put all their hopes and dreams into Van Persie being the guy and that's why it hurt so bad when he left for Manchester United because he wanted to win titles. Ah, oh, that made me sick. He only had a year left on his contract and he didn't think that the ambition of the club matched his own. So Arsenal decided that rather than lose him for free the following year, they'd rather sell him to a rival now, but £24 million 
for a season of 30 goals and 13 assists is a robbery. This Van Persie season, yeah, for compa- for comparison, is not that far off Luis Suarez's mad Liverpool season. And Liverpool got like 70 M's or something for Suarez. And Arsenal should have got that, but incompetence, poor managing again. That's the changing of the times. Can you imagine the old Arsenal letting Henri's contract run down to a year left and then selling him to Manchester United to help pay off a loan? No, but that this wasn't that old Arsenal anymore. That's what made it hurt bad. They didn't have the same championship ambition which attracted those players. So all they could do is watch everyone else pass them by. Liverpool was better. Chelsea were better. United were in a different league. City were incredible. It wasn't even long until Poch's Tottenham took over North London. At this point in time, it's been eight years since a trophy. Consistent third and fourth place finishes. The best players in the team are leaving to compete for, for league titles. And with the finances hamstrung because of this stupid stadium, and I can't even get into the Cronkies to get that's another completely different problem, but Arsenal were crumbling. I didn't even talk about the best chance we had had to win a trophy. The, the Carling Cup final against Birmingham, oh my days. Long story short, it's 1-1, like the 80th minute, 81st minute. Long kick by Ben Foster. Nodded on by Ziggich. I swear, I'm doing this from memory. This is how many times like, I've seen these games and just been angry at it. Long kick from Ben Foster. Ball spills into Ziggich in the air. Big Nikola Ziggich, like six foot eight, Heads it backwards. And Koscielny and Chesney, I think, is in goal. Yeah, Chesney's in goal. Neither of them speak. They don't know who's clearing it. They both go for it. Ball spills to Obafemi Martins. The guy used to do backflips when he took penalties. And Arsenal lose a cup final against Birmingham. It's, it's the definition of an Arsenal goal. Calamity defending again. Lack of communication again. No leadership again. In the end, in the end, Wenger would bring a title to the Emirates. A crazy FA Cup final against Hull where they were down 2-0 at one point. But amazing performances by Santi Cazorla and Aaron Ramsey won the FA Cup for Arsenal. The, the trophy-less seasons were over. Nine long years in the wilderness were over. But it, it's, it doesn't feel like that's where Arsenal should have been. The Emirates move worked by all the metrics. Arsenal were always near the top of the list for ticket revenue and the brand of the club is up there with the best in the world and because the football looked so good and was so attractive and so scintillating it made you want to go and watch Arsenal They, without a doubt they were the best team to watch in the league and the stadium has now paid off and it's a state of the art ground and it was way ahead of its time but the move was the end of the period where Arsenal actually challenged for titles where they were a force to be reckoned with in the league Soon enough, key players wanted to move on to rivals to challenge, whilst Arsenal became a stepping stone club to big teams. I wonder what Arsene Wenger was thinking about, having to trade financial muscle in a time to really boost his legacy while watching Sebastian Squillacci play centre-back. I wonder if... I wonder if Cesc would have stayed at the club and what he and a fire in Van Persie and an incoming Santi Cazorla and Alexis Sanchez could have done 
if he wasn't playing with Andre Santos. Arsenal could have become the Leicester of today or even the Liverpool we see today if they'd actually let Wenger try his new ideas with experienced, world-class talent. Rather than constantly having to develop young stars and deal with injury just because the club wanted to pay off the stadium. He probably, Arsene Wenger does not get enough credit for the job he did at this club. And you can argue this is probably harder than the first section. It's probably easier to win a league with players like Vieira and Henri and Pires than get to top four with Bentner and Shamak as your front two. With Johan Giroud and Justin Hoy in the defence. And not even disrespect to them, but the levels, the difference. I don't know how Wenger even did that. And now I'm annoyed because I'm just you know, I'm thinking about the Carlin Cup final and Go and watch that goal on YouTube and think to yourself, is there a more Arsenal goal than this one to concede? But anyway, that's the end of the episode. Again, I want to thank you guys for all the support and all the help with the podcast so far. It's really, really appreciated. I hope you guys are enjoying. I'm really enjoying doing them. It's it's so interesting and, and fascinating to go back and look at things I think I remembered but oh you don't know that oh that's a story you missed and to put all those together and really see how the arc of a team changed is amazing please follow the socials do all that corny stuff like share subscribe all that all that kind of stuff I really appreciate it, it helps me out and when you give feedback and suggestions and and stuff it lets me know what i need to change or what i need to improve so i just want to produce the best product as possible but again thank you guys see you next week and peace